Welcome to the Rainer Strength and Nutrition Podcast, hosted by Liz and Michael Rainer, the husband and wife team behind Rainer Strength and Nutrition, where our mission is to empower athletes of all levels with the tools and knowledge to fuel their performance and accomplish their goals. So whether you are training for your very first 5K or your 50th triathlon, we are here to provide you with all of the information to succeed in performing your best and accomplishing your goals. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Rainer Strength and Nutrition Podcast. I'm Liz Rainer. And I'm Michael Rainer. And we are your hosts. Today's episode is our second episode in our Running with the Rainers series. If you haven't listened to the first Running with the Rainers episode, our intro, definitely go back and check it out. But this is a series all about how we are fueling, lifting, recovering, and training for my first ultra marathon, which is a 50 miler in early April. So whether you are training for a half marathon, a full marathon, ultra marathon, triathlon, any endurance endeavor. We just wanted to be able to share some tips and tricks and learnings from my training that may help with yours. So we're gonna kick it off with a little training update, then move into some fueling updates, some gear updates, and then we'll talk about what's next. So training update. We've got about 10 weeks until the race. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. I can't believe it's coming so fast, but also feels like it's been a really long time coming. We're diving into the part of training that I really dreamed about when I decided I wanted to run an ultra marathon, which is the long, long runs. So I'm sure this sounds crazy to some people, but when I signed up, and Michael, I'm sure you remember this, like I wanted back-to-back long runs. I wanted really long weekend runs. Like I wanted to run all day on Saturday and Sunday. That was like, I mean, obviously the the race is my dream too, but um, just that part of training really it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I remember when you signed up for this race and you got your coach and like within the first week of having a coach you're like you asked me, "Do you think she's going to program me back-to-back long runs?" I was like, "I don't know." And you're like, "God, I hope so." Yeah, so anyways, we're headed there. We're we're getting into it. Um my weekend long runs aren't like super super long yet, but yesterday, which was a Saturday, I ran about an hour and 20 minutes. It was like 9 to 10 miles. And then today I have two and a half hours, so they're getting there. Um, But that's what I was really looking forward to. Um, Last week was, well, two weeks ago now, was a recovery week for me. And so this week I've been putting in a little bit more work. And I think I'll be sitting around like 45 to 48 miles for the week and then building up from here over the next couple weeks. So I'm really excited. So a couple highlights from the last few weeks of training include... Um, Wednesday we did a 5.30 a.m. workout, so it was three by 12 minute tempos, and we got up at 4.30 a.m. and we're running by 5.30. So this is like a never before seen thing in the life of Liz, and um, I don't know that Michael was as excited about it as me. It tends to be pretty chilly for him on the bike when we go that early. Yeah, I mean, I really, I'm an early morning person, but pre-5 a.m. is like, Maybe too early. <laughs> yeah, so we had to set our alarms in the fours, which was which was cool. But it it simultaneously was rough that morning, but also like just one of those things that once it's done, you're like really proud of yeah. it the rest of the day because we had a really busy day and my work schedule just didn't really allow me to get it in any other time. And so once it's done, you know, you're you're really proud of yourself because it's not an easy thing to do to get up that early. Yeah, it's a cool feeling to have your workout done before the sun's yes. up. Like I ran a little bit over nine miles before 7 a.m., which is just nuts. Um, The other highlight that I already kind of talked about is the long runs getting longer. So the last couple weeks since our last Running with the Rainers podcast, my long runs have been around 
an hour 45 to two hours. And we started working on race pace, which was really interesting to me. Um, it's been like funny, scary, exciting, and unbelievable to think, what pace will I run for 50 miles? Like, what is a pace I could hold for 50 miles? Because um, I know this sounds bad 10 weeks out from my race, but I still can't imagine running 50 miles. Like I'm getting there, but I still can't picture how I will feel at like mile 38. Yeah. Like I just don't. That's uncharted territory. It's uncharted territory. Yes. So I'm excited. Um, but when I try to think about what pace I could hold, um, yeah, there's going to need to be some flexibility, yeah. which is cool. <laughs> um, but the third and final highlight is very cold weather. So I'm a warm person. I'm always sweaty, especially when I run and no matter how cold it is, I'm always warm on a run. Like I always wish that I'd worn less clothes. Um, and so it's been in the thirties a lot in North Carolina recently, which is my happy spot below the thirties, wee bit cold, but the thirties tends to work really well for me. And we've had a lot of that in NC. So that has been a fun little bit of training as well. Again, I don't think it's much fun yeah. for fun my for cycling Liz. partner. More of a challenge for me. I look like the Michelin man and Liz is over here sweating bullets and I've got multiple packs of hand warmers out, but you can do what you got to do. Best husband award. It is really fun to have him bike with me, even though makes for chilly times for, for you. <laughs> um, so things have been going super, super well with training. I honestly, I can't believe how well they've been going, but I also can because we've really, you know, um, I want to say behind the scenes, but it's not really behind the scenes. Like outside of runs, we've really been putting in the work, you know, with fueling, recovery, sleep, all the things. Um, and I have an amazing coach who's made sure my training is, you know, just right. Um, so we'll talk more about what's gone into that today, but I'm feeling really good, excited, just trying to be grateful for every, every day of training. Cause this is in addition to running the race, really what, what I wanted was just to be able to train like this. Um, so I wanted to move into a fueling update cause that's one of the biggest things I think that's made things go so well. Um, so as mileage has crept up, there's been a few nutrition and fueling changes that we've made but a lot has stayed the same. And that's really what it's all about when it comes to fueling for, for distance events is finding what works for you, tweaking as needed, but then really staying consistent. And saying that sentence sounds super easy, but staying consistent is really hard. Like from week to week, you know, I might have a day where I go to train clients and I don't bring enough snacks. Or a new thing for me this last week was realizing that if I don't schedule a lunch break in between clients, there's no lunch break. Yeah. Like it does not transit, does not happen. Like I just keep forgetting because I'm excited to to get my people in and stuff. Um, so staying consistent is tough. Um, it's just constantly just trying to to be as consistent as possible with getting adequate nutrition. And another finding that I've had just with with fueling over the last month or so is um I do feel like I have to make an effort every single day to eat enough and to drink enough water and electrolytes. So that's really what we wanted to talk about today for the fueling update is, you know, I'm not saying I'm like force feeding myself, but when we go to measure out my carbs and protein for meals, we do use a food scale. Um, if we didn't measure it, I would portion out less. And so oftentimes I'll post like something on social media and the food scale will be in it and people will say, do you weigh all your food? And I think sometimes we think of food scales as like a restriction tool, like that people measure out their food and, and are, you know, like dieting or, or whatever. And I really like to put it out there that a food scale serves two purposes in our house. 
One of them is it minimizes food waste because if you measure out nine ounces of protein, but you really are only hungry for five to six and you don't really know that and you're eyeballing, might have some food waste, but also um, to eat enough. Because if I was to portion out my carbs and protein without um, a food scale, I would probably portion out a little bit less than I need. So one thing that's made made this easier for me, like making sure I'm eating enough, even when it's not my my natural state to eat quite as much carbs and protein as I've been eating, is that I eat almost the same thing four to five days a week. Like our grocery list stays remarkably similar from week to week. Um, and then we spice it up like the other two to three days, mostly on the weekends for variety. And so Michael has helped me really make sure I know what I need and what's in my usual meals. And then I fill in with snacks as needed based on hunger levels. Yeah, and like you said, you're not force feeding yourself. It's just that we're being a lot more intentional and really conscious about making sure that we're getting enough carbs and protein to fuel all the extra activity you're doing, right? Yeah. Like those things need to increase. Yeah, and if I don't eat enough, I do get really hungry. Like if I don't portion out the correct amounts of food, um, I do get really hungry in between meals. And I get, I'm a hanger girl. Like I get pretty hangry. Pretty hangry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put it, pretty hangry. Put it mildly. <laughs> um, so it's really important for me to, to eat enough for a multitude of reasons. Um, but another reason I kind of wanted to talk about this is because, especially for women, like I, I've been talking about this a little bit more with people and I didn't realize how much of an issue under fueling is for women in endurance sports and not necessarily always intentional under fueling, but just this idea that like, you can't eat more because you might gain a little bit of weight. And if you gain weight, it'll just slow you down. And like, obviously we want to maintain weight during training. Like that make that means you're being adequately fueled. But oftentimes to maintain weight, you need more food than you probably think you do if you're just flying by the seat of your pants and like portioning out meals. Um, you might need a little bit more. And if you're, you know, exhausted or like, I don't know, having trouble sleeping, that was a big red flag for us that we'll talk about in a few minutes. I was like, waking up in the middle of the night with sweats and like really hungry. Yeah. I was like, okay, more food, understood. Um, but anyway, so we've changed a couple of things and I'm gonna let Michael kind of chime in on those because he's really helped me um, objectively look at my nutrition, which that's another tip I have for you all is like work with a dietitian to figure out what you need objectively. It's so easy for us to think we can just kind of like do it on our own. And I'm a dietitian too. And I certainly like help with my own nutrition, but it's nice to have someone objective to kind of check me and be like, yes, you really do need to eat 220 grams of potato at this meal. Like, yeah. yes, that is the amount of food you should be eating. So, um, Michael, do you want to talk about some of the, the changes that we've really been focusing on with nutrition over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, definitely. So like you said, one of the really big changes was increasing carb portions at meals and making sure, just like really making sure that you're getting enough protein to support all the, the activity um, and the repair and recovery on the back end of that is obviously, you know, the really big goal there. Um, but so eating more carbs and protein in order to help with recovery. Yes. And eating more carbs to help prep with coming workouts, right? Like we want to We've talked about this in other podcasts. We'll talk about it in future podcasts as well. But your body has a pretty small store of carbohydrates called glycogen. Um, and we want to make sure that that stays topped off so that we're heading into each workout with as much glycogen as possible so that basically you're as fueled up as possible to get the most out of each workout. Um, so, you know, having that extra carb throughout the day, make sure that we're replenishing it after the workout that morning. And it's also preparing you for the coming workout. 
Um, one of the other big things that we really rolled out was fueling during shorter workouts as well. Um, that's like a really good, easy way to get in some extra fuel and um, energy and carbs. Um, so a lot of people, I think, look at shorter workouts and say, I'm fine. I don't need to take fuel with me. But So when we say shorter workout, what are we talking about Like in the context of me? Yeah, certainly um, for, for most people, it's less than 90 minutes. Really, you see a lot of people, if it's less than an hour, they're not even taking anything with right. them. And that's what we've been doing differently is I've been fueling on 45, 50, 60 minute runs like I would if they were longer. Yeah. And so for us, that's like really low hanging fruit, easy way to kind of sneak some extra fuel in there to make sure that we're getting enough energy in and mm -hmm. we're not, you know, under fueling or yeah. under nourishing. Again, like you talked about consistency being really key. This is something that has like an additive effect. So if we're just slightly under fueling on each run, that builds up time and time again with each workout and you slowly dig yourself into a hole. So instead, if you're fueling during your workouts, you're making it so that your recovery and nutrition can really actually truly refill your tank versus just, you know, shoring up the gap. Mm -hmm. um, Wait, tell your gas analogy. You oh, didn't yeah. tell it and I like it. <laughs> so the way I like to think about it is like a car and fuel consumption. So with every workout, let's say that you're draining 10 gallons of gas from your gas tank. But then after the workout, you're only able to refill nine gallons of gas. So if you keep going at that rate, eventually you're going to run out of fuel over the course of lots and lots of workouts. And you're just slowly digging yourself into a hole. But instead, if you can fuel during the workout, you're kind of minimizing the amount of fuel that's drained from the tank during the workout. Mm -hmm. And then you're making sure that those nine gallons that you're refilling the tank with actually fully refill the tank. Yeah, I like that. So keeping ourselves out of a hole. We talked about that a lot in the hydration podcast too. So we've been doing that with both um, both shorter workouts and longer. So especially a good place to start if you've been flying by the seat of your pants is that 60 plus minute workouts should be fueled with both carbs and fluids and electrolytes, right? Yep, that's correct. Um, so that is that is the key. But again, something we've been doing is really the only runs I don't take fluids or fuel on our 30 minute runs. If I run is 45 minutes, 50 minutes, I at least take electrolytes. And if it is 60 minutes, I take at least a gel with me to get some carbs in. Um, and the two things that I've really been using, the two things in my rotation are the untapped gels. So if you're not familiar with them, they're maple syrup. That's basically all they are in yeah. the, in the they package. Have, they have flavor varieties that are also like Flavoring with a little bit of electrolytes, but yeah. still at its core, maple syrup. There's a salted cocoa one that we've been making lattes with post-workout too. And um, I have a pretty long run this afternoon and I'm already like, there's a salted cocoa <laughs> latte in my future for sure. Um, but we've really liked those because in the first podcast we talked about this, um, I have a couple of autoimmune diseases and I, I just eat a pretty particular diet. Like I have some food sensitivities um, and dietary restrictions. And so um, eating just straight up maple syrup with like minimal other ingredients just for my GI tract and my my um, medical needs. It just works better for me. Like I just feel better. And even if you don't have any sort of dietary restrictions, there's going to be gels or carb products that are going to work better for you. So yeah. we tried a bunch over the course of my 15 years of running and over the last six years with Michael, I've certainly tried a lot. Um, well, that's I think we that's like an these. important thing to note because a lot of people – go to see a dietitian or they're trying to plan for their race and find a fueling strategy for them. And they want to know like what the key product is, like what's the one product they should have. 
And it's not such a simple answer, unfortunately. Like some people, like you could look at two people and for one of them, product X is going to work great. But if you look at the other person, product X may make them feel terrible. Yeah. And so sometimes there's a little bit of an experimentation process to find what works for you, what things you like. Because the other thing is one of the unique challenges with an ultra is you're having to fuel for so long. You really don't want something that you like only kind of like the taste of because by six hours in, you're going to hate the taste of it. Yeah. And I might, I might really dislike the taste of these untapped gels by halfway through that breaks my heart to even say, um, (laughs) I I actually don't think it'll be that I dislike it. I think it'll be that my body just is going to want something different. Um, so we'll talk more about what we're going to fling in there in a second. Um, but the other thing that's been heavy in my rotation are, Bare Performance Nutrition Electrolytes. So um, BPN came out with an electrolyte solution um, late last year, and um, the the guy that started the company started running ultras, and they made this electrolyte solution. And we really like it because of a lot of things, but one is the sodium. The electrolytes um, in it specifically are higher than a lot of the other products that I tried, and I'm a really really salty sweater yeah so when you sweat you know people think of sodium because that's the biggest one we lose but we also lose chloride we lose potassium we lose calcium and we lose magnesium so you're losing all of these electrolytes these mm-hmm. minerals in your sweat and so it's important to replace all of them um and so one of the cool things about this product is it's got all of those electrolytes it's got a good amount of them as well mm-hmm. um and again liz talked about you know some of her dietary restrictions and and things um, and we just found for us, it was easier to separate the two. Um, and by the two, you mean yeah, the carbs yeah. and the electrolytes. Yep. So I was just getting ready to just clarify that. So typically, if you look at a sports drink, it's got a carb portion and it's got electrolytes all dissolved in fluid. Um, and so we kind of found it was easier to separate out the fueling side of that, which is all the energy, the carbs, and then have the electrolytes and fluid in the other camp. It was just easier for us and Liz to separate those two and manage them separately versus, yeah. you know, doing a sports drink and adding in other fuel on top of that or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So you'll find something that works for you. But the other thing I'd like to highlight is that we started playing around with this when I started training. Like when my la- mileage was 20 miles per week, we started playing around with fueling. Every single long run, even when my long runs in like September were eight miles, I was playing around with fueling. Like I wore a vest, even though the run was only like an hour and 10, hour and 20 minutes. I was wearing a vest and we were playing around with products because now it's kind of crazy. It's 10 weeks to go until the the ultra. I've only got like less than 10 weekends to play around with, yeah. with fueling. And so it really sneaks up on you and you absolutely cannot just do it two weekends before a race or you're on your longest runs. Because I think about like, just all the different ways I've felt over the last three or four months, you know, like some days my stomach will just be flippy floppy, like stomachs do sometimes. Or like if you're a woman, like different points in your cycle, you might tolerate different things or have like GI, different GI situations and things like that. So it's important to test it out like all the time. And so that's one of the reasons that um, we've been talking about this specific um, topic for so long is it's really, really important to practice more than you think you need to. Um, yeah, that's and, one of the, the things I always tell people is people, for whatever reason, always want to wait until really late in their training cycle to practice their fueling strategy. But like Liz was saying, you know, all of these runs, every single run you go on is a chance to test and practice your pacing. It's a chance to test and practice your gear, right? Yeah. Like 
We're making sure we find what shoes work for us for the ultra and a vest and a hat. And yeah. your fueling strategy is no different. That's something that you really need to hone and fine tune. And all those early runs are a really great chance to practice those. The other way I think about it too is if you wait until your longest runs to practice this, there's a lot more on the line yeah. if something goes awry, right? Like if you try a product that like just wrecks your gut, do you Three really want in. that to be an yeah. hour into a four hour run? Yeah. Probably not. You probably want to figure that out 50 minutes into an hour and 10 minute run. Exactly. Yeah, that's such a good point. And you said, you know, like for some reason people wait. One of my thoughts on why people like wait on it, and this is, we talked about this with hydration vests too. Um, for some reason, like I'm a recreational runner, right? Like I'm not a professional runner. I have never been a professional runner. I've never been a collegiate runner. Um, I run for fun. Like we're doing this because we think it's fun. And for some reason, and I'm speaking to this just as how I felt about it personally and like conversations with others. So this may not be the case for everyone, but I think sometimes people feel like if they, they, we all kind of like minimize our, our running abilities when we're, we're running quote unquote, just for fun. And for some reason, I think that makes people feel like they don't like need to or deserve to like take it seriously. Yeah, like, and, like, I'm not that serious. I don't need to carry yeah, the best. But the thing is like feeling your body is serious. Yeah. And like, if you have these running goals, there's nothing wrong with taking it a little bit seriously. Like there's, and if someone like has something to say about that, like that's their problem. That's not your problem. Yeah. Like if, if you, you know, I even still feel this tug sometimes. Like if I go to Umstead and my run is quote unquote, only an hour and a half and I'm wearing a vest. Sometimes I feel like it took me a while to be like, you know what? really other people's opinions of what I'm wearing, what, what fuel I'm carrying with me, they're really not my business and they're not my problem. Like yeah. I'm doing what's best for me. And so I think we get sucked up into this, like, I'm not fast enough. I'm not running far enough. I'm not serious enough type of mentality. And the reality is like feeling your body is, is serious no matter how fast or slow you think you are. Um, I think and, there's a, a lot of ways you can look at it to like help relieve that pressure of yeah. like feeling like you shouldn't do it. And I think that's a really good one, right? Is it doesn't really matter what other people think you're doing what's best for you. I think the other way to think about it too is this isn't, I mean, it is about performance, but it's also about preserving your health outside yeah. of that. Yes. And so, you know, if you try to go on a three hour run and don't take any fluid, that's really not good for you. You're going to get super dehydrated and it just causes a whole host of problems. That we and talked so, about in episode two. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, I mean, you're doing this A, so you can pr perform your best, but also be healthy once you finish your run. Yeah. And that's another thing. Like we, sometimes we equate training hard to like beating our body up my body feels phenomenal right now. Like I feel really good. And occasionally after a run, my joints will be kind of stiff or I'll be pretty tired. But like, if you feel like beat into the ground in the middle of your training cycle, something's off. Yeah. And if, you know, reflect on your nutrition, cause that could be a big component. And like Michael said, it can have really, um, really big impacts on your health outside of running again for women, like, um, inadequate fueling can really and men actually too like a lot of hormonal health issues um like reds if you if you're familiar with that so which is relative energy deficiency syndrome yeah so maybe we'll do a podcast on that sometime yeah. too but anyways um and i think the other thing that's important to bring up is i see this less so than that situation that you were talking about right of people feeling like they're not that serious but the other camp i see is the people that really want to go fast and they think that that fuel is going to slow yes. them down. Yeah. And I think that's important to bring up as well because I can promise you, I can, there's very few things in this world that I can say with absolute certainty. But one of the things I can tell you 
is that a 16 ounce handheld, the amount of fuel that you're carrying there is gonna be more beneficial to you than the detriment, quote detriment, of carrying 16 ounces. Oh, and this leads me into another, we're taking a, we're taking a tangent here for a moment. I, um, that's what we, these, that's what these podcasts are for, right? It's just for us to rant and like only kind of talk about what we meant to. Um, but yeah, so the weight, if you're concerned about the weight of it, like I know that happens a lot too with like a hydration vest, especially like I wear them now, even on like tempo workouts and things like that, because in my ultra, I'm going to wear a vest and I want to be really, really comfortable in a vest at all paces all the time. But, um, yeah, people can feel like it's too heavy. And that leads me to just another little thing, which is sometimes I'm sure this happens with men too, but I'm a woman. I can really only speak to how, how I feel. Um, like it leads to this thing where we don't want to overfuel because we're worried about gaining weight during a training cycle or like sometimes even feeling like during a training cycle, like, um, it breaks my heart that I felt this way in like my early twenties. I used to like bank on losing weight as a part of my training strategy when training for a marathon. If I wasn't happy like with like training down to race, yeah, weight. like training down to race weight. And now I look back at that and I'm like, no wonder you felt like no wonder crap. I could, no wonder I literally like never accomplished my goals because you can't. It, this is just my personal opinion. You can't lose weight and perform at the same time. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at overtraining, that whole like issue and topic is a result really at, at its core of under recovery, yeah. right? It's because you're not devoting enough time to recovery and fueling and all of those things that overtraining can occur. Yeah. Um, and so if we're intentionally under fueling in the hopes of losing weight, what you're doing is saying, please find me overtraining. Yes. So like, <laughs> please come get me. Um, yeah. So that's something else. Again, I just see it being really prevalent with women and because women tend to, um, feel like to be a runner we and men too that yeah. we need to be skinnier um I mean, and we're so, always in the pursuit of being leaner yeah and so just a really important reminder that like the detriments of pursuing a goal weight for your race they are so much more impactful on your training than you know weighing a couple pounds heavier and adequately fueling um and so I, I think to that end if you do have a, a weight loss goal, I think it's really important to, to kind of take a step back from the racing calendar and not not book a bunch of races right. if, if you want to achieve that goal because you're going to have to bring that exercise volume and intensity down while you're looking to move towards that goal weight. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of put things back on the calendar once you're able to fully fuel those activities. Yeah. So that's a great point. It's just doing it during a period when you're not doing heavy training. Again, because heavy training plus weight loss can equal overtraining a lot easier. And make you more prone to injuries. Yes. So many overuse things. Overuse injuries. Yeah. Um, but taking a big U-turn back to the fueling <laughs> before we, we move on to the next thing. Um, as far as fueling during workouts, I'm really excited. The things we're going to try next are some salty options. Both my coach and Michael have talked about, um, and I know this too, like pickles, chips, broth, something salty and crunchy for variety. Because chugging maple syrup, I do think at some point... Um, I tend to have like, just like, fatigue. I'll eat the same thing. Yeah. Like fatigue with a certain food. So with ultras, cause you're running for so, so long, got to have a lot of variety and keep yourself out of that under fueling hole that Michael talked about. So let's say I get to a point where sweet things just sound absolutely disgusting to me during the race. I got to have some salty options. Um, I'm really excited to try pickles, which I know sounds so weird, but I freaking love the taste of pickles. Um, and I just really crave salty stuff when I run anyways, which is why I like those BPN electrolytes because they are pretty salty. Um, I also tried a Larabar during a run the other day, which um, 
we'll probably keep on hand for some variety. Those are a little bit higher fat than we typically recommend eating during workouts, but with ultras, the pace is pretty slow. Your heart rate's pretty low at points, or the goal is to keep your heart rate a little bit lower, so. And you're, you're going so long that you do need something a little bit more, more substantial. substantial. Yeah. Um, so we kind of already talked about um, adding more carbs to meals. So one of the ways we did that too is it's not like an overwhelming, difficult thing. Um, we just kind of sprinkled in a little bit of extra carb at each meal. So Liz usually has a morning smoothie. So we kind of just upped the amount of fruit that she's doing in that just a little bit more. Um, at meals, doing just a little bit more potato. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a couple of... At, at your snacks throughout the day, just making sure that, you know, we're getting a, a decent amount of carbs at each of those. So it's it's kind of this extra carb that we're needing. I keep saying we. That Liz is needing is sprinkled all throughout the day. So it's really not like huge changes. Yeah. And it makes it so that eating it is really comfortable because it's just a tiny little bit. So tell us about the third change we've made with my nutrition recently. Yeah. So one of the really big changes that we kind of made was um, as the training volume has gone up, we've... We kind of noticed that Liz was waking up throughout the middle of the night pretty hungry. She was having difficulty staying asleep. And obviously, we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again. Sleep is super important for recovery. And so we don't really want to be doing anything or we don't want to ignore when sleep's having issues and becoming interrupted. We want to get as much good sleep as possible. And so that, to me, was kind of like a red flag that she's probably hungry, so she's not eating enough during the day. Or right before bed because she's waking up hungry. And also, we want to put a stop to that pretty quick so that she's getting that good quality sleep that helps recover Mm -hmm. recovery. Um, And so what we started doing was incorporating a protein shake um, at night, a little bit before bed. So for Liz, we mix it with oat milk and Mm -hmm. a protein powder. Um, So she's getting good protein, good carbs, both of which can help sleep. So those carbs can kind of help release serotonin, which can help sleepiness. And then the protein kind of keeps you full throughout the night. And again, you're kind of just adding an extra dump of nutrients to make sure that your body has them there to repair and remodel tissues and muscle Mm -hmm. and stuff. Because at night, our body does release growth hormone to Mm -hmm. help with that process. And so by having that, that protein shake a little bit before bed, just making sure that you've got those, those nutrients readily available for that process. Yeah. And to speak to the other side of that, the first night we did it was like, I know this is silly because we're talking about sleeping night and day. Like truly, uh-huh. like I woke up in the morning and I was like, what is this quality of sleep that I've been missing my whole life? Like how in the world have I been missing out on this? And I even like mentioned it to my coach and she was like, yeah, adding a high protein snack before bed or a little snack before bed can be really helpful as your mileage goes up. And so we've kept it pretty consistently. I don't do it every single night. Sometimes like if we eat dinner really late because of our schedules, at the time I would normally have a protein shake, I won't do it. But like on the weekends, like last night, I had one because I had a, a workout yesterday that was a little bit longer. And today I have a long run. So not trying to be in a hole yeah. um, and I think during this it's, time. It's also if this is something that you try to incorporate, um, make sure you don't do it too close to bed. Like you don't want to be yeah. chugging it as you're getting into bed because... <laughs> It can, uh, it can disrupt sleep because your body's then trying to digest while it's also trying to slow down yeah. slow digestion. And so it just creates like a confusing environment for your body. So just having it a little bit, you know, closer to like an hour before bed Got or 45 it. minutes before bed yeah. can be really helpful. Um, 
And it's also kind of depends on the person. Some people, it takes them much longer to digest. Mm -hmm. And the last thing you want is to be taking a snack before bed that's going to give you like reflux and yeah, cause you to not point. be able to fall asleep. And so, you know, if that happens, try pushing out a little bit further from bedtime. Or you may be someone that just needs to eat a really good carbon protein rich dinner and then go to bed a couple hours later. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't think about that because we have done it right at bedtime for me a couple of times when I've forgotten, but I know I need it. And I personally haven't noticed a difference when I like drink it as I'm laying in bed and then like brush my teeth and go right to sleep. Um, but that's just me. And again, usually when I'm having it, I am actually hungry. And so it like tastes really good and helps me go to sleep because I don't like to fall asleep when I'm hungry. Yeah. Um, oh, and that's another thing just on this topic of like doing things we feel like quote unquote, we shouldn't do from like a nutrition perspective. People often think it's like bad to eat before bed and depending on your goals, like, you know, it can vary like how valuable it is to eat before bed for you. But from like a performance perspective, especially for the type of volume like you'd be doing if you're training for an endurance event, if you are hungry or having trouble sleeping or waking up at 3 a.m. because you're hungry, not eating before bed is the thing that is not great for you. Yeah. Like so. Um, and then the last thing that has kind of been helping us with this that I just want to talk about because I feel like oftentimes it's, it's challenging to talk about is I um, – know exactly how much I weighed when I started working with my coach and started this training cycle. And my goal was to maintain weight. Like, so obviously our weight changes by pounds every day, but just keep it in a good range around the weight I was. Cause that will mean that we're adequately fueling, we're adequately hydrating. Um, we're not under fueling, we're not over fueling. Everything is just right where it needs to be. And my weight has stayed, um, like the most stable it's ever been in my whole life. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing is, is weight is a really good just indicator mark for us. Yeah. Um, it's something you want to kind of keep an eye on. You're not like pouring over weight data every single day, no. but you're kind of just tracking it long-term to measure any changes. Like if yeah. we start to see it creeping down, then we know we not need to probably include some more snacks or yeah. extra portions at meals to kind of get you more energy. Mm -hmm. um, and if we see it going up, we kind of know that maybe we're incorporating a little bit too many snacks or yeah. um, just keeping it in a good place. Cause we also don't want to like massively over fuel. Yes. But our bigger concern is definitely under fueling, right? Like that's yeah. much more detrimental. Yeah. I would bet most people are at risk of under fueling, not over fueling for the Especially most part. Especially as you get into like these really long runs and stuff, like it's just going to be so hard to eat enough calories and that's one of the things Liz and I have been talking about lately is as we get into that territory of back-to-back -back long runs and stuff, it's not going to be a matter of just eating more on those days because, you know, if you go for a four-hour run, you have four hours less in the day where you can really be eating yeah. a significant amount of food. And so you're probably not going to be able to eat enough those days to offset the activity that you did. Yeah. And so you're going to kind of have to raise your average intake for all the days and like yeah. spread those calories out. And that tends to be something that's really hard for me personally. And so I think probably for, for other people as well is, and I, this mentality definitely doesn't, doesn't really live in my brain much anymore, but the idea that on rest days you should eat less and on workout days you should eat more when the reality is you just raise it on all the days. Because again, on some of these workout days where my runs are that long, like Michael said, I probably won't be able to eat enough to, to come out neutral net neutral on the the intake so just to again that tool might not work for everyone there's nothing there's no reason that you should or shouldn't weigh yourself it's all about just your personal preference but for me personally weighing myself relatively consistently pre and post run has just been a great way to make sure my weight's staying stable so it's an indicator that we're fueling well um and for hydration purposes like we talked about in pretty great detail on the hydration podcast so 
it's been a good good sign that training is appropriate, fueling is appropriate. So want to leave you with just some practical tips about fueling that have helped us accomplish these three goals. So again, the three big changes we've made are fueling even during shorter workouts to keep me out of the hole during the week, um, adding carbs and protein um, to meals all throughout the day, just a little bit here and there, and adding that protein shake before bed. So some things that have helped us with that are one, having so many snacks on hand. So my schedule has also happened to have gotten busier over the last month or so. Um, just had a big work change, an exciting one. And so I've been on the go a little bit more. And so we buy so many, we have so many snacks on hand and we had to come up with um, portable snacks, like things that are in wrappers so I can just take them with me, eat them while I'm driving if I need to, things like that. So not just ones that I can make at home, like lots of bars, meat sticks, which sounds so funny, but like chomps like the jerky sticks kind of um i really like those again just for a salty option cereal can be a great one to just put in a bag like anything that you can have um have snacks that you can eat pre-run if you're hungry before a run have snacks you like to eat between meals have post-run snacks have after dinner snacks and when you're hungry eat a snack it doesn't matter like that's been a big thing for me is like i'll notice i'm hungry i'm like oh it's just two hours till dinner no sometimes it'll be four o'clock and i'm hungry and i know we're not going to eat till closer to six I eat some kind of snack. Um, and some days I end up eating two bars, which for some reason in my brain was something that I shouldn't do. I like never understood that. Liz used to have this rule. She would like say, I can't eat two bars in the same day. I'm like, why not? <laughs> it's such like truly like a diet mindset. Like this idea that like you just, you don't need it, which is so ridiculous. Like when I say it to myself, I'm like, that was such a, and it's just such a silly thing to think. So sometimes I eat bars before my runs. Like I always have a bar pre-run. And sometimes in the afternoon, I need to eat another one because I'm on the go. I need a snack that's on the go. And we have a whole bunch of Lara bars. And so I just eat a different flavor. Um, so I used to think I didn't need that. But guess what? If you're hungry and it's what you got in your backpack or your work bag, it's what you do need. Yeah. Like that's what you need. Um, prepping food. So I know meal prep sometimes can get, get an eye roll, but... We notice we get ourselves into deep trouble if we don't look ahead at the work schedules and figure out what days, and this goes for Mike and I, like both of our food, what days we need to pack lunch versus what days I'll be home for lunch versus what we need to cook so that I can just throw it in my lunchbox the next day. And so um, really looking ahead and thinking like, okay, like looking at what's in the fridge and I eat like ground chicken with some potatoes and stuff most days for lunch. And so if we're out of chicken, we cook it the night before because otherwise... I can't cook while I'm at the gym, you know? So um, on days where I know that I haven't eaten enough, it's almost always boils down to either not taking enough snacks or not meal prepping a meal to take with me. So prepping food has been really, really helpful. Um, another thing that's been super helpful, especially for, like Michael said, showing up the gaps with the really long runs on the weekends, has been having fun foods on hand. I truly attribute my weekend long runs and workout success to the fact that we make cookies every weekend. Like we have the same cookie recipe. I freaking love it. Sometimes we make them twice a weekend, like this weekend, because it snowed in North Carolina. Um, like Michael said, it can be really tough to eat enough food to fuel for four hours of running. And usually I have some kind of strength workout on the weekend and sometimes I even teach. And so um, it doesn't feel nearly as hard to get in that fuel when I just like get to enjoy some cookies. Yeah. So there's no like science to it. After dinner, I just eat as many cookies as I feel like eating. And then when I'm full, I stop eating cookies. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the science is that cookies contain carbs <laughs> and they've got a little bit of protein and some healthy fats, yeah. at least the version we make. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're getting 
good nutrients in. There's yeah. no reason that just because it tastes good that it has to be deemed bad. Yeah. Um, so anyways, cookies have been fun. So if you're struggling with getting in enough calories, um, and this is something my coach actually said to me too. So it's been fun to, to have that support as well. Um, it's like eat some fun foods too. Like, I mean, we th- we're dietitians. We think all foods are fun, but um, foods that you really like bring you joy. Yeah. Um, and then fueling properly during workouts, which we've already definitely beaten into the ground today. Um, so, you know, taking fuel on your workouts, even if you think you don't need it, I almost always have a gel in my handheld or my um, vest just in case I need it. Um, so yeah, that's our fueling update. And now we're going to talk a little bit about gear updates before we wrap up. So a couple of gear updates I wanted to share. This has been something that's been really fun to play around with as well. Um a couple, was it two weeks ago where I had that run that like my legs were so slow, yeah. I could barely even run or so cold. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a day in the twenties where I had to run early and I was wearing like my North Carolina winter appropriate tights, which are like pretty thin, long tights. Regular, normal They're just tights. Regular, normal tights. They may even be like heat rated, like good for warm weather. Um, but they were most certainly not appropriate for that morning. It was like the first run I've ever had where like my quads were so cold that I felt like they were going to cramp. And I was like, oh my gosh, like my pace was a little bit slower. I felt just like I was not comfortable. Um, And so I got some new winter rated tights. I'd had some before and they just like either didn't fit anymore. I didn't like the way they fit. They got old. They got kind of sheer. So anyways, had to buy some new winter rated tights with like the nice felty velvety insides, you know, so snuggly. So I got um, the the Under Armour cold gear high rise tights and I got just like two pairs of them. I'm obsessed with them. They're probably not great for like New England cold, but for NC cold, they get the job done. They're just Um, an extra little layer of insulation that you need. Yeah. Like the first day I ran them, I was like, oh my gosh, my butt's so warm. Um, Because normally it was like numb. Um, I also really like high rise tights. Um, And again, just for a long time in my early 20s, for some reason, I thought my stomach needed to be smaller because like... I didn't like the way it felt in a lot of running tights, like they'd be a little bit like mid-rise or lower rise. And I was just uncomfortable with like the way my lower stomach sat. And I was like, oh, that means I must lose weight because these aren't comfortable. Like these, this style is not comfortable. And then again, as I've like gotten older and um, this has really become like a passion of mine, like it's not my stomach that's the problem. I prefer high-rise tights. They are more comfortable for me. They stay up. They don't sag down. They don't roll when I... Um, run so that's what I buy now I buy high-rise bottoms because they are more comfortable for me to run in they stay above my hips so don't try to change your body while you're trying to train to fit into clothes you think you should wear I think that's an important gear distinction in general though is like if you try a vest on and it hits you someplace weird or rub somewhere it's not a problem with your body it's just that that vest doesn't work for you right or shoes like if you try a pair of shoes and they hit your arch weird I think that's actually a really good point. It's yeah. like how many people try on shoes and are like, oh, my foot just must be messed up because yeah, these like, shoes don't weird. fit, right? We like have this ability to say like, oh, I, my feet need something different, but we don't have that ability for the rest of our bodies. Like yeah. if, if your hips don't fit in a pair of tights, we're like, oh, my hips are too big. Not yeah. these tights just don't fit my hips. Yeah. And then like, that's such a good point. In October we went and I needed like a whole bunch of new running tights. It was just time. And I used to wear um, like Nike leggings and stuff like that and I love them and I still do I have a couple pairs that are great but the ones I happened to try on that day just like were not doing it for me like they made me feel just not great about myself and then I found the Under Armour tights that I've been wearing and love them and again high rise is just comfortable for me these are great because they fit like I I have like 
thighs and a butt like I lift a lot of weights because I do and um, they just they just fit better so anyways got cold weather tights love them they're the Under Armour cold gear high-rise tights um, and then the other thing that I realized um, thanks to a recent long run where I was gonna have to pee during it and um, trying to get sweaty tights back on is truly a joke like it's like I'm scared. I actually think I did rip my tights. Like not like rip a hole in them, but like this. Heard a couple of seams. Yeah, pop. I heard a couple of seams pop trying to get them back on. I realized that the ultra is in the beginning of April in North Carolina, so it's probably not going to be freezing cold. Um, and even if it is, if you saw my Instagram this weekend, I did run in the shorts, in shorts, in my garage in the snow. So I think I can handle it. <laughs> but um, I normally do most of my training in seven eighths leggings. But I decided I'll probably want to run the ultra in shorts, but I never train in shorts. Like I just, I just haven't, like I haven't found a pair of shorts that I really like training in. I like the leggings because it minimizes like in between the leg chafing. Um, so I was like, okay, I got to find some shorts. And I decided I wanted split shorts. So for those of you that aren't familiar, those are the ones that don't have like a seam up the side. They're split. So when you move, you're not like tugging on the shorts. Like not riding the, up. the leg opening opens up to allow your leg to, to move, move freely. Um, I, and I've never had a pair of split shorts that I really liked. I've actually never really had a pair of running shorts that weren't spandex that I liked. Um, and so I was like, oh my gosh, we need to start this journey to the shorts now because it could take me a while. So it's kind of cool because now I know what I like actually. So it, it was just one order success is what happened, which was really cool. Um, so I know during the race, I'm going to need to probably pee. I might need to change pants. I might need to put on body glide. And so that's shorts will make all of that infinitely easier. So um, I ended up ordering a couple pairs of shorts from Lululemon. They were the Find Your Pace high rise short in three inch. Um, and I tested them out yesterday on my run on the treadmill. I thought that'd be a good time because it's so cold here. I probably won't have a day where I can test shorts out outside in the like really near future. And they were so comfortable. Like I was amazed and I had no chafing. I did put on a lot of body glide because I always do. Um, and my legs just felt like so free and comfortable. So I'm going to try them on some longer runs as we get closer to the race to make sure. Um, but I think they could be the ones for the race and I'll probably order a couple more pairs. So I found some shorts that could work. I have a couple others bookmarked in case I need more. Um, another gear update just with the pandemic has been, I wear the Hoka Mach 4s. That's what I've been training in this um, training cycle. And I really, really, really like them. Um, and they're not as easy. Shoes are not as easy to find in, in my size um, as, as I'd want them to be. And it's hard for, for some stores to order them. So found that it could be helpful to stock up on some shoes. Yeah. Probably the next time I buy them, I'll buy two or three pairs to make sure, maybe even four to make sure I've got enough yeah. for the race. Um, so stock up on your shoes if you need. Um, and then last thing with gear, next up on the list, if you've got any tips, definitely reach out. I need a more significant hydration vest. Um, I have a little one that I really like that has two 17 ounce like soft bottles on the front, but I've discovered I need one with zipper pockets probably to keep my gels in because as my bottles get empty, my gels are like bouncing out um, of the like open pockets on mine. And then I also think I might want the option to have a bladder on the back. Um, I'd like to get a vest I love that I can use for races after this 50 miler. Um, for the Umstead 50, there is there's a lot of aid stations, so my vest would probably be okay yeah. and I could stop. But the other thing is I might not need to stop at every aid station, so I'd like to be able to carry enough fluid. Um, so we'll keep you updated on what we test out in future episodes. So what's next? 
looking ahead, mileage is going up. I'm really excited to keep trying fueling strategies we've been working on for the longer distances and really put this stuff to the test when it's, it's going to make a difference. Um, looking forward to trying those salty fueling options, some back-to-back -back weekend longer runs, and um, just starting to finalize pieces for, for race day. So thank you so much for listening to the Rainer Strength and Nutrition Podcast. If you don't already, go follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss a new episode. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave us a review. Let us know that. And lastly, um, we're so thankful for your support, as always, as we launch this podcast. We are still new, and we really want to help as many people as possible improve their performance in life and in sport. So share this podcast with a friend in your social media stories. We'd so appreciate it, and we'll see you in the next episode.